All right. Welcome in. It's a Thursday, and this is the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN Radio, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and worldwide online at SEMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Here's our EBOMD huddle hotline number, 573 334 1220-573-334-1220, our huddle hotline powered by EBOMD, and we are almost to the weekend, Friday Eve, as we like to refer to on uh, a Thursday, meaning on Thursdays during this time of year, it's usually Ohio Valley Conference basketball, and that's what we've got tonight at the Show Me Center, a doubleheader with the Lindenwood Lions in town. Women 515, men 730-ish. Both games, of course, on ESPN+. Plus. If you'd like to tune in and watch, or you can listen to the women here on SEMO ESPN. The men's game is on Real Rock 99.3. Jess Bolin in the house. How are things this morning? Don't you? Every once in a while, you just feel lucky. You feel lucky. Oh, yeah. I got up this morning and I thought, well, it feel pretty good today, so let's get out and ramble. I I think that some of that, don't you feel lucky, for instance, to sit down tonight and do a doubleheader in Division One basketball in a facility like we have here? That's, That's, a, lot of, a lot of little towns like ours don't absolutely. have a Division One school in it. Academically, it's a great school. And sports has been great for a long time. Brady Borky has got something to do with that. And and I just think I, he... I'm sorry. Oh, you're but, sorry. But if you just look at the Show Me Center on the outside, come in and see it for a basketball game, how it's set up, video board, everything, you would not believe... That that building opened in 1987. No, you would. Well, it's been. It's, that's what you do when you take care of things. I've got a car sitting in my garage that's 73 years old. Okay, you've seen it. That's what you can do if you want to. You can keep something in great shape, or you can let it run down. And you know, Cape Girardeau has not let that building run down. It's it looks just I, well I think it looks just good as when you opened it don't you Where, where's the problem the one upgrade I would like to see their digital sign out front I'd like to see them go with a more modern so you could put some video out there yeah and that that, like that would be an improvement I mean, it's still I, a nice sign I agree uh, the one thing that they did you know one of my big gripes doing basketball was. When somebody fouls, they don't get it up there quick enough, and we have to keep that in, on our own scorebooks and everything. They're, they've improved on that. If you, I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But now, the other side of the court that does the scoreboard and all these things are getting that up there quickly. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe you griping, me griping. Well, I don't know. No, I don't think that has Knowing who the foul is on, first of all, I would never – endorse going back to the old scoreboard they used to have just because of the modern amenities with the video board. I mean, it's fantastic. But one thing that that old scoreboard had, and I just saw one when we played at Western Illinois last week, there are columns for here's the number of the player that was called for the foul, and right next to it 
is this is how many fouls that individual has. Yeah. We don't have that at the Show Me Center. Now, on the on the sideboard over on the wall, over where near the band sits on that wall, you can look up and see how many fouls. But when you're broadcasting and talking, sometimes, and first of all, you try to watch the official and see what number he's flashing, but sometimes it's obscured and you can't see it. And if you're talking, you can't hear David Haas come over and say, that was foul on Rob Martin, his third, team fourth. Well, now, it's got team fouls up there. You can always can always look at that. Yeah, and I, I usually go by my scorebook, but like you said, sometimes you miss it. And a lot of times I'll raise the headphone off my ear to hear David Haas announce, you know, who the foul was on. Because there are like plenty that. of times when, you know, somebody dribbles into traffic and it could be one of a couple of guys oh, yeah. that committed the foul. And then it, it becomes important, you know, first half, if it's a second foul on a guy, he's going to the bench. And if it's getting later in the game, a guy picks up his fourth foul, you know, he's probably headed to the bench. So you want to keep track of all of that stuff. Well, I, there's a lot of times, like you mentioned, there could be a foul on two different guys, maybe. Maybe it's three-way collision. And, and I've thought I saw it a different way than the ref. So I think, I'd say I think that foul's on uh, Armstrong or Jones or whatever, you know, mention their name. And then I'm wrong. And I'm, so it, I don't like to do that too much. But uh, sometimes it's, it's really evident who the foul is on. Sometimes it's not. And... Uh, I'll tell you one thing they do a good job of, too. If there is a foul called, I have to take a second before I look up to see how many team fouls are on the board. They get it up there quick. If they if there's a whistle, and, I mean, they immediately that, right. flip that team foul. So. Yeah, so it's been a big improvement there, and not that maybe other fans didn't really you know, notice it because it's really they – they don't they have don't they flash. don't have headsets on and everything. They can hear David Haas say who yeah, the foul is, and on. they don't flash the board that quick. I mean, and they wouldn't. I don't think they'd be too interested and worried about it anyway, unless one of our players in Southeast have three fouls in the first ten minutes. I think that would be a, fans would get a little lot of problem with. But the only thing I wish they would do is that little scoreboard that sits on the wall above where the band sits. When it is on a certain guy, you go to some arenas, and when it's on number four, then they put it on that little board and then flash it flash on and it, off. Right. Yeah. And then you know, okay, it was called on that guy. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, you know if they I've, don't have the capability of doing that. I've I been know. to a, a few venues. Like, I've been to Chaffetz, a beautiful place. I've been to SIU Arena. I've been to... Murray, I'm talking about doing basketball. And so any place I can drive back home that night, I don't care about staying overnight to do a basketball game, to be honest with you. But that being said, the best place I've ever seen on getting fouls up there and all that stuff we're talking about is SIU. They get that up there quick, and it's, then they're accurate. So I know some, you don't have to look at your school books, what I'm saying. You can just look at that. It'll be up there quick enough that you can mention it. As the, as the motions are going on on the court, and um, but I don't know you you've been to more of them than I have in the OVC especially, and I don't know who you think's the best. But SIU Carbondale is 
pretty high up there for me. So I know some people may be saying, who cares if you guys, but it's important in this respect. Like if you're at the show me center tonight and you see where we're broadcasting to our left is Jeff Hansa and his crew in strategic communications. They are officially statting the game live for the NCAA statistics and for the game statistics. They have to know who the foul is called on. They have to know what every call is because they have to enter it on a code into their computer, and so they keep the stats. And there are times where, hey, do you know who that foul was called? They don't know either. They're the official stat people. They have to know. So, you know. Just- you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because Jeff Hans has got a crew that has to work intently watching the game because when – the whistle blows and you go to media timeout or whatever, they get those stat sheets to us immediately. And it's got everything on it. And got if you ever, listen, if you ever listen to them, it's number four to number eight, three-pointer. I mean, they're, they are statting rebound, everything. To, rebound to number 24. I, I wish to – I give the stat sheet a lot of times to fans I know, you know, that walk by me and always speak and stuff like that. I give them a stat sheet once in a while so they can see – how well it is done. I mean, I, I have a hard time understanding how they keep up with all of that stuff. Man, they'll have block shots on there, turnovers, how many fouls a certain guy's got, how many fouls did he draw on offense. I mean, they got everything you can think of in that basketball game, and they get it to you, what would you say, from 30 seconds to a minute after the timeout? Yeah. They get it to you that quick. And I've, I've got a live stat program that I keep up on my laptop, and it's instantaneous. So uh, it's not as important to me to get the stat sheet as it used to be since we went to this terrific stat program called Stat Broadcast. And so we've got everything yeah. right there on, yeah. my, on my laptop. I've got every piece of information that, that I need. Because when you and I disagree on something, on something that happened on a court, whether it's a violation, stuff like this, I always lean towards you because you've got that screen and you immediately got the answer. And so. And then when sometimes fans will see uh, something happen, the officials gather, they go to the monitor, and everybody's like, what are they looking at? What has changed over the last few years in college basketball is the officials will now come over to whoever's doing the television feed, or in our case, ESPN Plus, and the official will walk over to me, and he will explain exactly what was called, what they were looking at on the monitor, what is the final outcome, what did they say to the coaches, what is the call here? Is it a flagrant foul? Uh, Is it a common foul? What are they doing looking at the monitor? And a lot of times, you know, it's a clock deal. They look at it. Okay, let's put two-tenths of a second back on the clock at the end of a half or something. Uh, But the officials are good about walking over to us and letting us know, here's the call, so we can let everybody know. Exactly. And that is for the enjoyment of the fan. And that's what, you know, that's exactly what that's for. For for us to get the information out there, Someone watching it on TV, sitting there wondering, what are they talking about or what, you know, what's going on? And a lot of times we couldn't tell them. But now it, it just enhances your broadcast. It really does. The more information a fan's watching a game, most fans know the sport in and out anyway. They understand. And 
So they got their own idea what happened, but now we can tell them exactly what the reason was. And, and our ESPN Plus crew does a good job. Like if we call for a replay, let's the officials are at the monitor. Let's let's take a look at the replay at what they're looking at here, and they will run it back as many times as they need to, and we can get another look at it. So. I think ESPN Plus has been one of the major advancements to collegiate sports in the last decade. Don't you? I mean, it's... It's just so good. These parents that got these kids playing all over the nation can get that app in on their TV, and they can watch their kids play, follow them really well. I mean, it's just amazing how many games they televise. You know, how many times they're – well, like SEMO. I mean, they televise all OVC games and probably most of the other games. So it's um, – it's all good. We're not trying to ramble here and get oh, know, we're, talk we're, about. We're rambling. Well, I am. I don't know about you. I, I get that. I got that habit. Um, I've always told people that come to visit me and we start talking baseball, especially people that played or what well, even women that are dating one of my players or married to one of my players. When we're at the house and they get hung up because I'll get into baseball and then no telling how long it'll go. So, I've been known to ramble. So when you when you go to the Show Me Center tonight, they will spin the wheel of Andy's, and whatever number it lands on, if Simo scores that point total or higher, then everybody gets a free frozen custard cone <coughs> at Andy's, either that night or the next day. Mostly the next day. Well, we we spin the wheel of sports today on this show, Jess, and it comes up number 72. You say, why is it 72? Well, yesterday, 72-year-old Pete Carroll was ousted as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. 72-year-old Nick Saban announced his retirement from the University of Alabama. And today, it was confirmed 72-year-old Bill Belichick is stepping away. It's described by Adam Schefter of ESPN as a mutual decision, a parting of the ways. So it's Carroll, it's Saban, it's Belichick. Bill Belichick, six Super Bowl championships, went to nine Super Bowls, won six of them. Saban, seven national titles, six with the Tide. Nick Saban succeeded Pete Carroll at Ohio State as their secondary coach in 1980. When Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, he worked with Nick Saban from 1991 to 94. They're great friends. And when Bill Belichick was named the head coach of the Patriots in 2000, the man he replaced was Pete Carroll. Those three 72-year-old coaches, and two of them will be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if Pete Carroll makes it to the Hall of Fame. Two Super Bowls, one Super Bowl championship. And then, of course, they lost it on that terrible play call with the interception near the goal line. Uh, or he could have won two Super Bowls. But at 72... Um, I don't know that Saban is coming back. I think Pete Carroll still wants to coach. You kind of got that out of his little presser yesterday. And I know Belichick 
wants to coach. Right now, Bill Belichick, 302 career wins. The all-time leader is Don Shula, 328. So maybe three more seasons coaching for Belichick, and he will have the all-time record of Don Shula. But, uh, you know, Carroll a little further down the line. But when you talk about Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, arguably the two greatest coaches in their respective leagues, college football and National Football League football. I don't uh, see how anybody could argue the point differently than what you just made out there. Um, If you go to Belichick, how can you argue he's not the greatest coach in NFL history? Six Super Bowls, I think they went to nine, didn't they? And who else can even get close to that six Super Bowl wins? I mean, sure, Tom Brady. I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't like New England Patriots, and I thought they did cheat against the Rams. And uh, well, the NFL, I think, the NFL proved they cheated. I think they cheated with that deflated football. I think that you know. So I think there's there were suspensions, there were fines, there were draft pick. <laughs> You know, I think there's flaws taken away in his, you know, in his career. But if you, you take the bottom line, I'm a bottom line guy. Let's face it, I am. Uh, I, I don't. I'd love to debate anybody that says differently than Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback ever lived. I, and I don't like the guy, and I don't like Belichick, and I sure don't like the New England Patriots. But if you're going to be fair, you've got to admit that. They got some numbers there. If you want to debate that, I don't know how you beat them. Do you? How do you beat the numbers that they got? Brady, Belichick. How do you beat that? Yeah. Uh, Saban. You know, I don't like him, but I'm fair guy. I think I'll give him credit as maybe being the greatest collegiate coach. So, at, you know, in '72, that number kind of, you know, I sat there and I thought while you were talking about that. Is there a number 72 that strikes my fancy or, you know, jogs my memory about something? And I thought, well, if you go back to Field of Dreams, you remember when Kevin Costner walks out of the motel there and he's don't know what to do. They're trying to find Moonlight Graham. And he looks up the uh, movie theater and his godfather's on. And he wipes the license plate off of that Mercury car sitting there. And what does it say? 72. 72. So it's. <laughs> I don't know. If, now, if why I, that would come to mind, I, I don't think know. 72, I grew up as a kid in the era of the Pittsburgh Steelers when they yeah. won four Super Bowls in the Steel Curtain. I think L.C. Greenwood, pretty sure he wore number 72 <clears throat> for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So. That's our number of the day. And for those... I think, uh, let's see, on the Cardinals, football Cardinals, Dan Deardorff, I think he might have wore 72. Sounds right. But anyway, we're rambling. The thought process is, okay, Tom Brady left. They went into a downward spiral, which has culminated in Belichick leaving now because of Lack of success, 4-13. and 13. And what did Brady immediately do? He won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. So it's going to be the forever argument. 
who was most responsible, Belichick or Brady, whatever. Six Super Bowls for Belichick. And don't tell me he still can't coach. He has. Now, he can't be a general manager. I mean, the talent that they've got. The last 28 first-round draft picks that they have had who signed rookie contracts with the Patriots, none of the 28 ever signed a second contract with the Patriots. That's how bad it has been. I mean, the last time they drafted an impact playmaker on offense, skill position guy, was Rob Gronkowski. That's a long time ago. So Belichick did not succeed as a GM. He did succeed as a head coach. And he's a sub-500 coach when he did not have Tom Brady playing for him. We all know those statistics. But late in the season, with that lack of talent, his defense was still pretty darn good. And late in the season, went to Pittsburgh and won, went to Denver and won. The man can still coach. And you look at all of the, right now, the franchises that have openings for football coaches. Nancy said there's going to be eight. There's eight now. Look at all of the teams. What is the common denominator for all of those teams? Defense, probably. None of them. None of them have a quarterback. None. Geno Smith is probably the best out of all of them, and he's an average NFL well, quarterback. I mean, in we've Seattle. always said that you can't win with the, uh, uh, without a great quarterback. You know, the I've always said this that if I uh, the betting line to me, and I'm not going, I don't bet on NFL games or baseball or any of it. But if I was going to make a bet, it always comes down to the quarterback and the issues with a quarterback. If the quarterback is really great. But I know that he's limited skills right now because he's got a really bad ankle or he's got some other kind of problem. That that always affects me and who I think will win. The only franchise right now that is looking for a head coach that has a quarterback is the L.A. Chargers. That's it? That's it, yeah. Nobody else has a quarterback. The Atlanta Falcons don't have a quarterback. Well, you know, if you get Belichick, you, the you know Titans thing, don't have a quarterback. Your defense is going to get better. Won't you agree? Yes. Your defense is going to get better because I think that's his strongest point of coaching is his game planning and his good defense. Uh, I think that would be one of the things you're getting. Now, whether he handles quarterbacks well, I don't know. They say to him and Tom Brady that he's the reason Tom Brady left, that he really was cool on him staying. Well, I think another reason Tom Brady left, they never gave him playmakers later in his career. He didn't have he didn't have skill guys that made an impact on a football game other than Gronkowski. What running back or other wide receivers did they have that were game-changing type players after Randy Moss left, after they had the undefeated season ruined by David Tyree's helmet catch in the Super Bowl, and they had their undefeated season dash. They just didn't have playmakers. Well, sure, a quarterback because Belichick only... was the guy bringing in the draft picks, and they just didn't have anybody. A quarterback's only as good as the people on the other end. <laughs> Look at Chiefs right now. The most dropped balls in the NFL. 
Okay, so Mahomes has got a different. You don't watch these pundit shows, and now they're talking a little differently about Mahomes. Is he as good as what we thought? <laughs> because the people that can't catch the ball, his status goes down as how good he is. That's re- that's just moot point to me that you can even make that argument. When he had Tyreek Hill and had speed and everything, oh my gosh, people say he's the best quarterback in football. He is the guy that could, you know, the Hall of Famer. He can print his ticket in a few more years. Now they're starting to say, is Mahomes is really as good as we thought he was? You know, that's silly. Sure he is. Well, they didn't have Tyreek Hill last year and they won the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, he, he makes players better. Sure, he's a little flamboyant out there and some of the shovel passes he gives and stuff like this, but that's him. It's it's worked, hasn't it? I mean, he's a two-time Super Bowl winner. Do you hear anybody who is reputable in terms of their resume in the NFL who says Mahomes is not the best quarterback anymore? I don't know how many people say I, he's the best I don't or hear not. that. I hear him skeptical. Of Mahomes now, though, how good he was. That they make points that, you know, maybe somebody else is the best quarterback in football now. You know, like Dak Prescott. Well, he's going to have to show me a little more in the playoffs before I get on board with him. Besides that, this is one season that Prescott, now you got to admit, he could be MVP of the league. Oh, he'll get plenty of votes. He'll be top three, I'm yeah. sure. And, or but four. I, I just, it's amazing to me how. Your reputation and your ability to get designated as a higher level or best is always dependent on somebody else, isn't it? You take the Barube, like we talked the other day, greatest coach in hockey. Blues won. Actually wasn't expected to win, but he's the greatest coach in hockey because of what people did on the ice. He can only direct them. He can't. He can't make people score goals and make great plays. And now, all at once, he gets fired because of what performance is on the ice has dwindled. Now, sometimes that is necessary. I understand that. That a, a, a philosophy with the personnel doesn't match. And it's just like in, in basketball. You go out there, and and for me, Southeast Missouri University basketball team. Ursher is on the floor for what reason, mainly? He's a really good defensive player, okay? Now, you can't make him be that type of player. That's what his ability dictates that he does. He just, he's gifted as a good defensive player. What do you think of when you think of other people on the team? You know. What do you think of when you see Adam Larson? Exactly. A great outside shooter. You better not give him a day, a, yeah. a sliver of daylight. And, and so these images you got are then reflected by the coach and how he uses them. And, you know, what part of the game do these people play? In certain? If you see a guy, for instance, gets off to a real hot start, and Ursher, for instance, is not starting, but if somebody gets off to a real hot start, don't you see him get up and take that jersey off and the jacket and he's coming in? And he's coming in for that reason. Try to slow down. You remember, was it Gadsby the other night that got off that real hot start? And here comes Ursher. And he slowed him down, didn't he? And so it's, it, a coach is only as good as his talent. I remember, you know, in my career, 
we won just a shade under 80% of our games for 50 years. And I, I credit the players. They're the ones that won the games, not me. But I do think that I did a couple things right. I think I recognized good talent and put them in a position, maybe not the position they played in college, but put them in a position that was best for our team. I remember Murray State had a second baseman, Jay O'Connell, or Jay Connell. I don't think he's an old there. And he was second baseman. Boy, he had a powerful arm, and I thought, you know what? He's got left side of the infield arm. So I moved him to shortstop. And then Murray played him at short. So sometimes I remember a guy named Kevin Erhan. You might remember that name. I think he's all-state shortstop for Chaffee. And he got to me, and I had a really, really good shortstop, played triple-A baseball. And I said, I I would like to have you, Kevin, but as a pitcher. And Missouri University uh, signed him as a shortstop. I pitched him one summer. His first summer with us, and he was outstanding. And so what does he do at Mizzou? They move him to pitcher. So it's, a lot of times, you know, a, a place will agree with your change of position on a player, stuff like this, and a lot of times I'll change to what they did, you know. and But that's coaching. you got to put people in the right place where they can be the best. It's just like Cardinals, when they put Edmund in center, Nobody knew he'd be good at center, but he is a good fly chaser. I'll give him that credit. The good guy that track balls, he takes good angles, got speed. So the Cardinals would be okay if they put him in center. And I, in my history of coaching. I just hope he figures this out at the plate. <clears throat> when he played center field this past year for the Cardinals, he hit 150 in games that he played center field. Well, maybe field. the position had an effect on him. I, maybe it, could, yeah, it maybe did. Maybe it did. And maybe it takes a little Cardinals, more out of you than playing shortstop. He's in the lineup base. this year, though. I think it'd be a shortstop. It all depends on what Mason Wynn does in spring training and what he looks like early part of the season if he does make the team. I think he's going to have to perform better than he did last year as, at the plate. If he doesn't, then I think he'd be at short and probably Dylan Carson be in center. But he's managing is being able to understand who can do what. I remember on my team, I always felt like this, whoever played short and second and center could probably play any position on the field. Okay, who do I have at short and second and center? I had Rick Weezer in center. I had Derek Smith at second base. I had Corey Crosno at short. Corey Crosno was a great third baseman to Oral Roberts. I played him at shortstop because that's where I needed him. And he could play it. Derek Smith played every infield position except first base. And he was probably as good a player at that position as anybody else I had. One year I had outstanding infielders. I asked Derek if he could play left field. We want to try it. He was making catches out left field over the fence, saving home runs and everything else. People that's got the talent that can do those things, Rick Weezer, he could play anywhere I put him and do a great job. Second base, he, Rick played second, he played short, played third, center field, or any other outfield position. 
And I know he listened to the show, but only thing I remember that Rick didn't play was first base or catcher. But I think he played every other position. So it's all part of coaching. And so you talk about Belichick, people like this, what's their strengths? What, is, what are they are above average or maybe the best? And I'll always rate Belichick as one of the top defensive coaches in, in all of football history. Now, whether I'm right or wrong, that's another opinion. I don't know. I don't have numbers to back anything up except the eyeball test. I've watched that team for years like everybody else has, and they've always put out a good defense, even though they might have had the best quarterback in all the sports ever. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> it took a while, but I'm done. You got anything to say over there? So I heard a meteorologist from Kansas City this morning, and he says, now keep in mind it gets dark right around 5 o'clock at this time of year, right? So the kickoff in Kansas City on Saturday night is at 7. And he says what his computer models are telling him, it will be 5 degrees air temperature at kickoff at Arrowhead. 5. The I'm wi- going down. The wind chill <clears throat> at kickoff is expected to be negative 15 degrees at Arrowhead. The game is going to be on Peacock streaming service. Now, the only people, and I don't know, I don't think we could qualify for the Kansas City market, but in the Kansas City and the Miami market, they will also allow the local NBC affiliate to take the broadcast. I don't think we're going to get it here. We'll see. So with that in mind, Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Charles Amenehu tweeted out that it is insane that fans have to sign up for a monthly subscription to watch this football game. So what Amenehu has done, he is paying and giving away 90 three-month Peacock memberships to fans to watch the game. He's stepping up and buying that. Uh, With a little research... There is a seven-day subscription, free, free for seven days if you sign up for the first time for Peacock. And you can get the game, and immediately following the game, you can cancel your subscription. When you go through the sign-up process, just keep in mind, it'll tell you any time you want to cancel, here it is. But you still get the full seven days. This is a free now, if you would just <clears throat> sign up for Peacock, you you pay by the month with Peacock. You can sign up five ninety nine for one month, and then after the game, cancel. Tells you how to cancel. So there'll be a lot of people do that. Would too. you Would you be willing? I mean, if you if you you can get the free seven day trial subscription. Or you can pay five ninety nine and get a month. I mean, they've got. Would uh, I do it? Me? I'm saying anyone can do this. I wouldn't. No. So you would not pay five ninety nine to watch the game. No. I, no. No. It's not. It's not that. 
It's I know I'm committing fraud or I'm doing something that really you can cancel at any time. I know it's not you illegal. can, but I know, th- but that would be the underlying reason I'm doing it. And uh, the, Peacock that, knows this. They, I, they're going to get. They're going to get a lot of subscribers. I understand that, but I'm. I just feel like it's wrong, and I, I try to uh, try to do things in my life that I think are right and just and above board. So knowing that I would cancel the next day, and I, I know it's silly. But I feel like I'm taking advantage of an you get opportunity. The free trial offer. All they're doing is, I know. If you, you don't make like a it, good point. I'm not arguing. And your just point. say, okay, I've decided I don't like it. Yeah, but that's not the the reasoning I would be doing it. I know what the reason I would be doing that. I'd be not cheating, but in my mind, I feel like I would. So I wouldn't do it. No, I'll I'll listen to the game on radio because I don't want to get involved in knowing that I'm doing it for my own personal benefit only so i wouldn't do it no but a lot of people will and you know i'm not criticizing those that do i just saying that i wouldn't and i won't so so charles amenahue but i love what he did you know players (laughs) believe me they understand that the fans are the reason why they make money if it wasn't a, a popular sport and people didn't care, you couldn't get anybody there, they wouldn't be making half the money they're making. And so to give back like he did, I think that – and there's a lot of players that feel that way. He's not the only one. They want their sport to be seen by people that work hard, make try to make a living, because those are the people that are really losing out. The wealthy can do whatever they want to. They can always have, they can sign up or they can do this. They can go to the games. But it's that old working guy that's got a couple of kids trying to make ends meet. He he lives his whole life for his family and for sports. He can't sit down and watch his team. That's ridiculous. It really is in this day and time. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with isolation games of Hulu, Peacock, or whatever you want to put them on. I just don't YouTube. I mean, they're all not, you know. And <laughs> Take you about five or six minutes to sign up. You can watch the game. No problem. <laughs> I'm no already, problem. I'm beating my head against a, a brick wall, so I'm going to shut up about it. So eight head coaches have been let go so far in the National Football League. That is 25% of the NFL looking Be for sure watch out there on your percentages and this is a very very enticing resume led free agent coaching class with pete carroll two super bowls one super bowl title 170 career wins uh he went to the playoffs in 10 of his 14 seasons in the national football league you've got the winningest coach in the history of the super bowl era in Bill Belichick, available. You've got, who many respect and don't believe he'll be out of work long, Mike Vrabel for the Tennessee Titans, who again, and you just start looking at these free agent quarterbacks, or coaches, they, they didn't have quarterbacks. And so you got 25%. Saban. Has Saban said he's done with football or just done in Alabama? You never know. The right job come along. He may take an NFL job he again. named his price. He just signed a big extension fairly recently yeah. in the last yeah. couple of years. Uh, he, he had lifetime um, security 
and was making a ton of money. But at the Alabama. love of the games, what I'm talking about. I think you're going to see him in the media. I think he's going to. Yeah, he like, might do you it. You might see him on game day on ESPN. And I think another thing that plays a part in these guys is your, your overall health. You know, people don't talk about that very much, but that's got an effect on how long you stay, how long you coach. I coached myself a little longer than I should have probably. And I always said, as long as I feel good, I feel great in a uniform and trying to direct my team. It's it's, it's really fun. Uh, Tom, my son's got a different look at the game now. <clears throat> Instead of a player, he's trying to build something. But it's so satisfying. I always kind of relate it to chess. To make a move or something during the game, or before the game, putting that sheet of lineup up on the board, and now sitting down and watch your team perform and trying to figure out a way, as the game goes on, to beat your opponent. I, you know, a lot of times I'd be two or three innings ahead of the game, and I think a, a good coach or manager's got to be ahead of the game, especially in baseball. Know where the batting order's at. Who's probably going to be coming up in the eighth or ninth? These issues are things that a lot of people, they watch. It's just like I've said before, Eric, when we do a game, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, whatever it is, we can't enjoy the game, you and I, and Jeff Hans and people like that, you can't enjoy the game like a fan can because you're intent on not making mistakes on the broadcast, exactly getting the right people on fouls, getting all these things right, so you're really working to be sure you don't miss something in the game. And if you're sitting there with the fans, you can sit and have a conversation going on with your, your friend or whatever. But there's also enjoyment and satisfaction out of doing what we do. And it's the same way in coaching. That's why I bring up a guy like Saban. Maybe he's done. And I think media would be lucky to have him in the TV box or whatever. But health could have an issue, too, with any coach, especially when you get above 65. So we mentioned that the National Championship college football game drew 25 million viewers. Uh, we mentioned that the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama, which turns out to be Nick Saban's last game with the Tide, 27 million. The year-end... Nielsen ratings have been released, Jess. The top 100 most viewed television programs in 2023. Of the top 100 most watched television broadcasts, television shows, how many of the 100 do you think were National Football League games? How many of the 100? Yes. Wow, that's a good question. Um, 60? 93. Yeah, I know it'd be high. 93 of the 100 most watched television shows in 2023 were National Football League games. It's the best TV sport there is. Don't you agree? Hockey's great for me because I love hockey, but... The problem with hockey on television is you can't see the puck half the time. And that's, that's always been a problem. 
Basketball is good sport. I love it. But it's not got the appeal. Baseball, you know what I think of baseball, and you too. But it is, to a lot of fans, slow. Football, if you go to a football game, you think it's slow. If you actually go, they stand on the field all the time. You watch a commercial at home. You get up and go to the bathroom, get you, go, go get you some, something to drink. That, you know, and you come back and the game resumes. In football, if you're up there at the stadium, it's boring to watch those players just stand on the field waiting for these commercials to get over to resume play. And then you got 40 seconds in between plays. A lot of standing around in the huddle and there. And I think so. I look at football differently than most people. There's a lot of delay, a lot of boring stuff in football. But it is a great sport. And I think the reason why is because it's gladiator type sports. You get people knocked down, stepped on. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough sport. And I think that's what people enjoy seeing. So, last night in Springfield, Missouri, the Missouri State men's basketball team got smoked by Murray State. After the game, this is late night after the game, the athletic director at Missouri State put out a written statement and we are going to give it to you when we come back from this timeout. I don't think I've ever heard of this after a game. Sports Huddle coming right back. SEMO, ESPN. It's the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN Radio, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and worldwide online at SEMO ESPN So the Missouri State men's basketball team just last night got smoked at home. Now, they they had a a super rich benefactor, John Q. Hammonds, a hotel magnate who has, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars he's donated to Missouri State University Athletics and just the university in general. Uh, Mr. Hammonds has passed away. Their terrific basketball arena used to be JQH, John Q. Hammonds. Uh, After he passed away, they sold the naming rights to Great Southern Bank Arena. That's the name of it. It seats 11,000. They had 2,109 last night as they got beat by Murray State, smoked by Murray State, 77-53. to And that was one day... One game after they got blown out at Bradley. And according to the Springfield News Leader, there were fans that were hitting the exits at halftime. Head coach Dana Ford is now 1-4 and four in the Valley. And they're at the quarter point of Missouri Valley Conference play. They've lost four conference games in a row. And after the game... The athletic director, Kyle Motes, issued a written statement. And here it is. The last two Bears conference games have not been indicative of the kind of basketball we expect from our Missouri State teams. Like you, I'm passionate about our program and share the frustration of many of you uh, that many of you have expressed. We expect more. I have spoken to Coach Ford. We both expect changes in all aspects 
of our men's team's performance moving forward. He has spoken about the team's energy and effort, and we will look forward for improvements in those areas as well as our toughness on the floor and the results in the standings. Ford said after the game, very disappointing, embarrassed. A situation where we need to get it figured out tonight. It was not just our execution like maybe in our last game, but also our effort, our energy, and our enthusiasm. And that hasn't really ever happened. He is... Entering the next to last year of his contract, he's got one year left on his deal after this year. He is from Tams, Illinois, which is very close to Cape Girardeau. So uh, he is local. Missouri State men's basketball has not made the NCAA tournament since 1999. Jess, I have heard of athletic directors firing coaches. I remember Jack Crow, who was used to be the coach at Jacksonville State when he was the head coach at Alabama. They lost at home to the Citadel. And the story goes that the athletic director then fired him on the field after the game. But I don't know that I've heard of an athletic director putting out a written statement after a game or a basketball game like this for Kyle Motes. That is a bad sign for Coach Dana Ford. Sure it is. and uh, But it's also a sign that they believe in their program and they, they see and they notice that it's not worthy to watch. And, you know, I think, in my opinion, pride has so much to do with athletes and fans and approval ratings and stuff like this. I totally think that you're lucky to walk out on that court tonight and you're a Division One player. You need to understand and realize that. You're selling your talents to the fans in the stands. And I'm not talking about money, monetary. I'm talking about your talent is trying to fulfill entertainment for people that pay to see you play. And I think sometimes we forget that. We go out there and just feel like we're playing a game and, you know, who cares what happens. And I think when a coach or general manager notices that, I think you got to say, well, who's to blame for that? Well, it always, always stops, buck stops with a coach. And it may not be his fault, but you're going to get blamed for it anyway. I'm sure an athletic director has done that before. Oh, yeah. But I've never heard of it. It's, a, so it's if kind they, of speech if you they say po- to the coach head, head on. If they played at 730, what do you think? The game got over 940, 945? Yeah. And then he crafts a statement. <laughs> I mean, did he start writing the statement? During the game, during Probably. the second half of the game, yeah. or you know, dictating it to whoever is typing it up. I don't know. Well, he's doing it for the fans. Is what he's doing it for. In my opinion, he is because he understands that people that come to the game, they want better than that. I mean, that's not entertainment. That's that's a hard sell to call that entertainment. So I think it's frustration by him and and. I think he's trying to let the fans know that, hey, we're, we're going to do better than this. We're going to be better, and our effort's going to be better and everything else. But, uh, I mean, I can understand a guy getting frustrated if he's the head man and if he's, you know, general manager. 
or whatever you want to call him, he is that guy that hires the coach or has got a big input on it and everything else. So I can understand that frustration. And if you don't have people in the stands, it it makes a major difference in athletes. And I don't think fans realize that they're that important. But you can't get the fans in the stands with a mediocre effort. Why should they? And I totally agree with that. Put a good program out there on the court or football field or baseball field, people will come. Look at SEMO baseball. I can go back and remember when there was 15 people at the games. You know, you have to look around to find somebody that's watching it. And then they come along and have a couple decades of, of really good competitive baseball teams. Now look at the when they have those special nights and stuff like that. Look at the, the, the attendance that's there. It's because they put a good program together and made it last. And look at football at SEMO. Before Toop got here, <laughs> you'd have a good crowd once in a while, but now the tailgating and everything else and the winning record of Southeast Missouri football, look at your fans in the stands. So, yeah, I can understand the frustration of Missouri State. Everybody wants to win, but it's very difficult for everybody to have a winning record. Well, just judging by the fact that the athletic director had to put out a statement after they got bombed at home by the racers, uh, unless Dana Ford gets it turned around quickly, I would say that is oh yeah, the this be- season is the, the it. Be- the beginning of the end. Yeah. For Dana Ford. All right, Jess, uh, a, a somber note to end the show. Former major leaguer Bud Harrelson has died at the age of 79. He famously fought Pete Rose on the field during a playoff game with the New York Mets. And he was a part of their Miracle Mets title. And um, he was 79 years old. He was in hospice care. He had been battling Alzheimer's. And he played his major league career from 65 to 1980. He was a light-hitting infielder, two all-star games, a gold glove. And he was the only man in a Mets uniform for both of their World Series titles. Infielder for their first world championship. <laughs> And he was the third base coach of the 86 Mets and 79 years old. But Bud Harrelson has passed away. I remember him as as a player. Um, Good fielder, like you said, not much of a hitter, but guy that could be a tough out in situations where there's a man in scoring position. He was a quality player. He was the person that added to your team in a lot of different ways. And he was a really great competitor, and so and and a good guy. I think he was well respected by his teammates and opposition. And to show you how much desire he had to win and everything, that fight he had with Pete Rose, <laughs> he had a little fire because Pete Rose, even though Pete wasn't a tall guy, Pete was a lot more physical, a lot bigger opponent in a fist fight than Bud Harrelson. So. I think he had, you know, he had a good career. Um, he just, just, he was a good player. Anybody that makes major leagues is an excellent player. You couldn't get that far. 
And uh, Bob Nightingale reporting that it is official now that the Chicago Cubs have formally announced their signing of Japanese left-handed pitcher Shota Imanaga. Four years, $53 million. Imanaga was the winning pitcher when Japan beat the U.S. in the World Baseball Classic. So Imanaga to the Cubs, four years, $53 million. I think he'll help the Cubs. Cubs are still making moves. Cardinals, uh, not so much. I think he'll help the Cubs. I think he's a good pitcher. I saw him in the World Games, as you mentioned. Uh, I was, I liked him. And uh, believe me, the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Brewers in that league needs help. All of them do to get to the point of maybe winning the division title. Cincinnati showed last year that they're going to be tough. They got some good young players now, and they got some good young players on the horizon. So that division might not be the best division in baseball, but it could be the most competitive. And I think the Cubs made themselves a better team by adding this pitcher. And according to Jim Bowden of The Athletic and Major League Baseball Network, the Cubs remain engaged in negotiations with Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, and Reese Hoskins. And they are also a potential suitor for Josh Hader. Now, obviously, they're not going to sign all of them. but No, they, they are. got two of those guys, though. The Cubs would be maybe the favorites to win the Central, in my opinion. You know, if they, if they picked up a Hoskins, maybe... And Hader, let's say they got those two, that would make a tremendous difference in the Cubs. So if if they're in on it with all five of those guys, and they would happen to be lucky enough to get a couple of them to add by picking up his lefty reliever, they might be the team to beat in the division. Cubs are not lacking talent now. I mean, before the winter started, the Cubs are still competitive, but now. You go from that point to the next point, and the Cubs might be the favorites if they got two of those guys, any two of those guys. Well, Imanaga is going to join a staff with Justin Steele, Cy Young finalists last year, Jamison Tyon, Kyle Hendricks, and they've got other internal options. And as I mentioned, uh, they are negotiating with Scott Boris for Jordan <coughs> Montgomery. Uh, somebody get John Mozalock on the horn and send them Jim Bowden's story about the guys that uh, the Cubs are negotiating with and uh, the deal they just signed with Imanaga. Yeah, the Cardinals won't make any moves. I mean, uh, they said it right when DeWitt said that they're financially tender right now. They don't know where they can go. They the Cardinals are, are crying poor mouth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're done probably. Whatever they got now, that's it. And they may get rid of a few more. But as far as bringing in anybody that's going to help your team immensely, like a Jordan Montgomery or like some of the other guys you mentioned, no, they're not going to do that. Like they just picked up Kittredge from Tampa Bay. That's just like, that's the kind of a of a bullpen arm that they may that they may sign. And they released um, the list of players that have been invited to spring training. Spring tra- training invitees yesterday. And so they're bringing in a lot of their minor yeah. leaguers to being. It's camp. just like if the Cardinals sign, and I know nobody thinks of the Cardinals even being interested in this guy, but Cody Bellinger, for instance, 
If they would sign him and stick him in center field, wouldn't the Cardinals be a lot better team? Because center field's a, an issue where you don't know who's going to be there, and that's a very, very important position. And Bellinger could play center field. So the Cardinals would go after him, but no, they won't do that. I mean, it's, and I don't know that they need to do it, but I'm just saying he's a quality hitter, he's a quality fielder. They could use a lot of people still yet, the Cardinals, and mainly pitching. But And as Paul Goldschmidt enters his age 36 season, and there was a marketable decline in a lot of his analytical numbers, uh, remember this, the Cardinals finished 19th in Major League Baseball in runs scored last year. I thought... I thought. So if you uh, think that starting pitching <clears throat> is the only issue for the Cardinals... I am talked about this on the show, and I thought Arnado and Goldsmith both left a lot of runners on base. Yep. And I, I was disappointed in their performance. Now, I know... Arnado got close to 100, didn't he? Got 90-something RBIs, which is a good year, but really not what he's capable of doing. I think he was way under. I thought his feeling took a little step backwards, too. He admitted that. And so I think if those two guys could bounce back this year, the cards would be better, of course. You don't think it's a wake-up call that suddenly Nolan Arenado did not win a gold glove? <laughs> well, th- You think he's working out... Uh, a little extra. I think in the so, off-season. but I think it's also an acknowledgement that there's so many good young players coming up that you know the competitions level out a little bit. And Goldschmidt, the Cards did offer him an extension, a couple years extension on his contract. So they're not feeling that it's not there still yet. That his abilities are still there. That maybe it just wasn't a good season. But I thought. Goldschmidt took too many strikes. I thought too many fastball pitchers threw it by him. That's a telltale sign of a guy's career, maybe on the downs, downward side. And so maybe I'm wrong. And you, believe me, they notice those things. It trends. doesn't take much of a loss of bat speed to start getting beat with, exactly. with fastball. It's just like a pitcher. You know, I think of Mark Pryor all the time. You remember when he's throwing 96, throwing it right by people? He had that little arm problem. And Velocity dropped down to 92. People were hitting him. So it, it's so precise what the break-even mark is as far as being on the next level and dropping down a level. So I thought the level dropped down for Arnado and Goldsmith to where they were. So maybe they'll bounce back. Jess, hello to the lovely and talented Dawn Sean. She has a day off today. She is coming to the basketball games tonight. 5.15 for the SEMO women against Lindenwood, 7.30 for the men. Blues are back on home ice tonight, 7 o'clock face-off Enterprise Center, New York Rangers in town. And uh, keep it locked here. We'll keep you updated on everything transpiring in pro football and college football as we just had a whirlwind 20 hours over the last 20-plus hours with Saban and Belichick and Pete Carroll and all kinds of movement. Um, got a final, uh, I want to ask your wife a serious question tonight when I see her is when she, when is she going to make ham and beans again? (laughs) She brought me a, a container of her own beans and ham. And believe me, folks, it was off the charts. Good. 
And I know you don't like them, but uh, that's too bad. She likes them evidently, and so do I. So I'll help her eat those if she, if she makes them again. But I want to say hi to my girls, too, down in Texas and Columbia, which are going to be here next week. They're both going to roll in, and nice to see them. And Darren right. Moore, my son-in-law, is going to be rolling in. I, and we're going to. And kinda, by the time he rolls in, the Cubs will probably have Bellinger, Montgomery, and Hayter. So yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, so he'll have plenty to talk about. He'll have a little uh, higher step in his walk. Yeah. But anyway, uh, and my little sister Geneva, who's coming out really well from her surgery, she's doing better each day. So a lot of things on the positive side for my family. And I did something today I haven't done in three months. I walked in here with hot. Starbucks coffee and Pike Place coffee, I think it is. And your first drink, you spilled it all over yourself. I did. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I want to use this one today. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed in the things you didn't do than the things you did. That was written by a pretty good writer. Mark Twain. Samuel so. Longhorn Clemens. Thank you, Sam. Jess, we will uh, see you at the Show Me Center tonight. Sounds great. All right, stay tuned. Greeny is up next. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. Thursday.